Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Dear friends of mine, uh, Bruce and Marcia Headley, and uh, he's never driven in snow like this at all. Uh, Wisconsin, where he's from, they didn't have any snow. No, where he's from, we he pastored a church in Wisconsin. They didn't have any snow up there, right? Uh, but we're very honored today to have these special guests. I told the worship team, I said, well, uh, our special guest speaker may have a private worship setting today because this was about 9 o'clock and the worship team was here and it was really snowing out there. And I said, but that also means that every one of us, we have to really give big in the offering today. <laughs> we have to give really generous. And so, but no, we are very excited. I've known Bruce now, I guess, going on... I don't know, at least three or four years. I'm trying to think. It may, may be longer than that. A dear friend, I consider him a mentor and a, uh, one of our fathers in the faith. And uh, just a little history, and he'll tell you more. But he's had many assignments. He's pastored a couple of great churches, and he'll tell you more about that. And his wife is a great author. She has a wonderful prayer devotional. I would encourage you to check that out, especially in the beginning of the years. We're getting ready to have a prayer focus as a church. Her devotional is wonderful, and it will really, really help you in a great way. And uh, Bruce has worked with our Tennessee uh, Ministry Network in church planning and development, and then he's also worked with Convoy of Hope. How many of you have ever heard of Convoy of Hope? Uh, currently, he serves as their church relations director, so he gets to travel around and tell churches a great thing that Convoy of Hope does. And he's also a wonderful preacher, great man of God, and uh, he's almost as good of a preacher as Marsha. I mean, he's almost arrived at her level. But you are in for a special treat today. We are recording, right, guys? Make sure we're uh, recording this morning. We'll be sending this out to the rest of our church family. But I want to turn it over to them today. He's really going to bless you. He's got a great word for the Lord. So come on, let's give a warm Emmanuel welcome to Bruce and Marsha Headley. Both Marsha and I are looking at the picture going, where'd that come from? And Because uh, I don't remember ever being on anything that I have. It is on Facebook. I better check Facebook out. Oh. oh, we love your pastors. We love you guys as a church and what God is doing for you. And I love the name Emmanuel. I mean, it, it goes right along with Christmas. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And we are excited about what God has in store for you as a church. Because if Jesus tarries... And, you know, there's no guarantee that we have another day left in us. The trump of the Lord may sound, the dead in Christ may rise, and those which remain alive go to meet Him in there. That's what the Scripture says. We don't have a guarantee that that trump of the Lord wouldn't sound before we get out of this room. But if it doesn't, there's a great future for the church. There's a great future for what God wants to do to reach the lost around this world, including Knoxville. Now, I'm pretty sure Knoxville does not have everyone saved here because I know there's some Tennessee fans here. I'm from Alabama, just for those who are wondering. Uh, brother, There went the offering, there went the anointing, there went everything. Oh. Uh, in any community you go into, I don't care if it's a community of... 300 people are a city of 3 million. There's going to be someone there that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. So our assignment is not complete until everyone has heard. And that's the case. It is an assignment because Jesus said, I am commanding you, go into all the world and make disciples. He Luke identified that a little bit better in Acts chapter 1 where he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Whenever you use that word, uttermost parts of the world, there is no place Jesus does not want His message shared. And we're excited to be here to share a message about Jesus Christ. And I want Marcia to come. She has written the book, Prayer Dynamics. Uh, Terry Bailey, who is the superintendent over the Assemblies of God for Tennessee, he said it is the single best book he has ever read on prayer. 
And I would encourage you to get it. The superintendent of Kentucky, uh, Brother Joe Girdler, uh, said it's one of the two, uh, two or three books that he keeps on his desk at all times. He has recommended it to all across his district to, for individuals to uh, read. And uh, we had a lady contact and said, I'm now reading it for the fifth time. It's a short uh, 31 chapters. How many of you like short chapters? I've been reading a book lately in my office, and the guy could have cut each chapter into 12. <laughs> and, you know, because there's something about me you want to achieve the completion. Anybody else like that? Well, thank the Lord. Marsha writes in short chapters. And so then you're able to achieve, and then she gives you a little breakdown of here's how to pray today in this area. Uh, she has just uh, written about it, and it's got great stories in it. It has great true stories in it, not just, well, this could have happened. She doesn't write anything in here that God possibly could have done. She writes things in here that God has done. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen? Right. And so I want her to come right now and just share with you. Good morning. It's great to see you. I've had my coffee twice. <laughs> Yay. So I might be hopping around. I don't know what it is. There must be a special anointing on this side. You're all on this side and nobody's on that side. Well, a few, a few faithful ones. We've got to hold down the fort and bring the lost in on this side over here. <laughs> well, your church has a very special place in our hearts. We love your pastors. They are people of such excellence and faithfulness. And we have been so impressed with their unselfish spirit and really a kingdom mindset. I just want to tell you, we are proud of these guys and we love them. We think, um, you know, a thousand thumbs up. We, we really, really think highly of your pastors. And we know God is working in your church. We know God has a plan. And every week I think of your church because Rincom, I wish I could see her. I know she's in the nursery, but she is a prayer partner with me. I, I post um, a prayer request on Monday for uh, people who will partner with me to pray for prodigals. And I posted on my Facebook site, so if you don't get it, friend me on Facebook. And um, so we pray for prodigals together. And I, I want to speak into your life real quick about the ministry God's called you to. Because I know that God has called all of us to reach the lost. You know, it's a supernatural mandate that God has given us that can only be accomplished with divine help. When we think, Lord, we are incapable of this task, we really are. We can't possibly do it without God's help. But I want to impart to you a burden for a, a, a portion of the population of our nation that needs to be reached, and that is the prodigals. And our nation is actually a prodigal nation. Israel is a prodigal nation. So even if you don't have one prodigal in your family, you live in a prodigal nation. And God has called us to pray. You know how I know that we are not doing our job? It's because the Bible says in Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And our land isn't healed. So that says that my people, that's not all people. Sometimes we think that all of Nineveh has to repent before God will act. But he says, if my people, and that's what I am speaking into your life, to start praying for our nation. Because our nation stands on a knife edge of judgment. But I want to tell you how to petition God. The Bible shows that God cares about the poor. And do you know our nation has reached out to the poor like no other nation? We have given to the poor, not just within our borders, but around the world 
Our nation is the most giving nation in the world to the poor and the suffering and those who are in disasters. But our nation is filled with prodigals. Besides being a prodigal nation, it is filled with prodigals. So I want to inspire you this morning to pray for prodigals. God has a plan for prodigals, and I'm going to give you a real quick, I'm, I'm going to hurry through because I want you to know how to reach prodigals. So I want you to see biblically God has used prodigals. God used all of Jacob's sons to get Joseph to Egypt. They were all prodigals. He used them to get Joseph to Israel to preserve the nation of Israel. Had Joseph not gone to Egypt, had he not put been put in that pit, he would never have ended up in the palace. And God used prodigals to get him there. Do you know God used prodigals, the nation of Israel, a prodigal nation, to get Jesus to the cross? It's a miracle story, and it's part of the new book I'm writing. But if you could understand that God's, um, his uh, method of punishment in Israel was by stoning. But did you know that's not what is all through the scriptures? All through the scriptures in Psalm 22, it talks about how the Messiah would be killed. In Isaiah 53, it talks about how he would be killed. But none of that has to do with, with stoning. It has to do with crucifixion. And only Rome was used the corporal method of crucifixion. God never gave that corporal method to Israel. That's why Jesus would walk in the midst of them. They'd pick up stones, but he knew the prophecies. He knew it was not by stoning that he would die. Over and over in the New Testament, he talks about take up your cross and follow me. He talked about his own crucifixion. And so I, I've kind of veered from my path, but I'm inspired about what God's given me because God used the prodigal Israel to push Rome, who did not see Jesus as a threat, but to push Rome into crucifying Jesus and fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. Isn't that amazing? I could go on and on about prodigals in the Old and New Testament and how God has used them. And I believe in this last day that God is going to raise up prodigals. I believe God has spoken to me that he's allowed them to get to the lowest places of our nation and to the highest pinnacles of our nation so that when they come back home, they're going to have influences in places the church would never have had. And so I'm asking you to start praying with me for prodigals in our nation. God has a plan for them. He has a plan for them worldwide. He has a plan for Israel. And I want to tell you to start praying by putting their names on a list. And your church begin to focus on prodigals. Begin to pray that God will put prodigals in your path. You see, we had a prodigal daughter. It was a very painful journey. And there are many in the body of Christ who have prodigals, and their hearts are broken. We meet pastors all the time who have prodigal children. And it's not because they haven't been good parents. It's because the enemy in these last days has gone out to seek and deceive in a way that never has happened before. And so I ask you to be inspired today to begin to pray for prodigals. I'm going to tell you two quick ways. I know Bruce is raising his eyebrows over there. But I really want to tell you two quick ways to reach prodigals. Well, first of all, start praying God will put them in your path. You know, when I couldn't reach my own prodigal, I began to pray, God, send somebody to reach her, and you send me to reach other prodigals. And God began to do that. One by one, God has put prodigals in my path. And I have witnessed, and some of them miraculously have come to Christ. I'll tell you one quick story. We were traveling from Japan after a ministry uh, event. We were in an airport, and God had a lady 
who was from Korea, sitting beside me in the airport, and she was reading Joel Osteen's book. I thought she was saved. She wasn't. She was the only person in her family not saved of all her siblings, and she had many. And I began to talk to her, and God used me to pray the sinner's prayer with that lady. She turned her heart over to Jesus. She said, I'm going to call my family and let them know. God will use you to reach prodigals. Ren Kim prays with me every week. I'm not sure if I finished that story, but every week she prays with me. And I'm thankful that God is answering. I wish I had time to tell you, but I'm going to tell you two quick ways. One is to pray. And when you go to a restaurant, tell the waitress, we love to pray for our servers. What can we pray for you about? And then God will often open the door for you to share about how prayer is so impacting that their prayers will matter and that have they prayed the most important prayer that God has for us to pray, that is to receive Christ. And the second way, okay, that's prayer. And so I'm going to tell you real quick, in your neighborhood or in your workplace, here's a way to use prayer. Start praying for your neighbors. You're doing prayer walks. It's awesome. Do prayer walks in your own neighborhood. And when you see a neighbor, say, I've been praying for you, and I've wondered, is there something specific you want me to pray about? And start praying about that need. Later on, ask Jane, Jane, how's Aunt Susie doing? I've been praying for her. And then build a rapport with Jane. And then you ultimately say, Jane, I've wondered, have you ever prayed the most important prayer? Because it has transformed my life. And then Jane says, I don't know that I have. What is that prayer? And then you pray, share with them about how to ask Jesus into their heart. Okay, that's one method. And I'm telling you this because I believe most people want to be a witness, but they don't know how. So that's one way. Here's another. It's so easy. It's an amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. Your own personal testimony. You share with that person you're talking to, and you say, Sue, what is the most significant event that's ever happened in your life? And then Sue shares with you, maybe it was when she met her husband. And you say, do you mind if I share with you the most significant event that's ever happened in my life? And then you tell your B.C. to A.D. story before Christ and after Christ. And what Christ has done, I once was blind, but now I see. God will use you. He'll put people in your path. I could talk the whole day about my journey of witnessing and what God's done. But, do you know, we pray for our nation, but then we walk out of here and we keep our mouth closed. But how will they hear without a preacher? How will we make a difference? How will we bring the lost in if we don't start speaking in the marketplace? God has called you to pray. He's called you to open your mouth and share the gospel as well. God bless you. It's great to be here. We love your church. We're so proud of you and what God is doing through you. God bless you. Well, thank you. Now, as we get into the word of the Lord, I, I just want to share with you, I am the executive director for Convoy of Hope. And Convoy of Hope, matter of fact, the last time I was here, we were I just started feeding about 145,000 children. Uh, today, we're up to 200,000. We're feeding every school day. God is opening some phenomenal doors for us to be able to touch children's lives. Uh, according to our most recent statistics, 80% of those children have accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And they came in our program without Christ. Uh, you say, what about the other 20%? Other 20% is the fact that we are on a continual rotation basis. When people are, when children are graduating, we bring in new children. And those new children that are coming in are the ones who are not saved. And we're presenting to them the gospel of Jesus. Uh, also, we are, are we are involved in disaster response. 
uh, right now, we have been, we still are in response to the disaster that hook, took place because of Hurricane Florence in, in the Carolinas, but also because of the hurricane that came into uh, Peninsula, or the uh, Panhandle of Florida. We sent in just into the Panhandle of Florida a little bit over 168 tractor trailer loads of goods. We've still got more to bring into there and help them out. But we also responded, and this is just in the last couple of months, to the wildfires out in California and helping all of those individuals that have lost their homes there. And they're in many cases, just totally, totally homeless and they need someone to come alongside them. And we're doing a farmer's initiative, we're do, uh, which we're training third world farmers. We're working with women and women's empowerment, uh, helping women that are in total poverty within their third world country uh, countries and we are training them on how to be entrepreneurs then turn around sowing into their lives not through a grant not a loan we don't ask any payment back from the ladies and they then take it and uh, they start their own business uh, one organization reviewed us and found out that when a woman goes through our program starts her business her income goes up by over 256 percent in the first six months taking her literally from abject poverty into the middle class and their cultures but then they also began to train other women to do what they're doing the great thing about it it's a 12-week program that we do this and every morning they have a 30-minute devotional in one Muslim country that is, in, by all indication, is closed to missionaries to be able to go in there. But in one Muslim country, we were training about 500 women at one time. At their graduation, over 250 of them had accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Because convoy does not do anything without the gospel being presented. If we're doing it just because it's humanitarian, we can partner together with a lot of humanitarian organizations. But that's not what we're about. We're about presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, in a tangible humanitarian way. Coming alongside missionaries, coming alongside pastors. Everything we do is through the church. We work through the church, whether it's in a disaster or whether it's with our children's feeding program, uh, working with orphanages that connect with churches, working with schools that are connecting with churches, and touching lives. And it's because of churches like yours that partner with us. Pastor and I talked last night about you as a church doing a one day to feed the world this coming year. What that means is taking one day's salary and saying, this day, on this day, I am going to work for the poor and suffering of the world, and I'm going to bring this amount of money to our church. Let me tell you what, within Convoy, we feed a child for an entire year on $120. Now, we're not educating them. Um, we're, we're working with educational groups to work, help with them. But what we are doing is feeding them. And because of that feeding... We're able to leverage that to make sure, one, they have uh, an education, two, that they have medical attention, three, that they have a um, shelters over their head, and four, that the gospel of Jesus is being presented to them. And that is exciting to us. This year, we crossed over the threshold. We have served over 100 million people through the ministry of Convoy in the last 24 and a half years. Next year will be our 25th anniversary. And we're, we're excited about our 25th. And we hope you as a church will come alongside us and partner with us continually uh, year after year in what God is allowing you to grow in and we grow together in those very things. Have you ever had someone say to you, you just don't relate to me? <laughs> Maybe it was your husband, I don't know, or your spouse. You just don't relate to me. And you know, Whenever you're trying to talk with someone and counsel them and walk with them, you need to find some common ground that you do relate one to another so that you can have a, a, a legitimate, meaningful conversation. It's interesting when pastors get together and they start talking, each one of them has a story to try to top the other one. And the reality is they're saying, I want to relate to you where you are, and I want to share my story of how it relates to where you are as a pastor, whether you're a pastor of a church of five or a pastor of a church of 5,000. There's a camaraderie there. 
uh, I was sitting with uh, a, a gentleman who was in my uh, church. He was the major in the uh, police department there in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was having breakfast with him. And about four other guys from the department happened to be there. They came over and sat down with us. Before long, they literally all started telling stories about what they were doing and what they have experienced in the police department. And it hit me at that moment in time. They were basically telling their stories because it helped them to relate to the other guy across the table. And it helped the guy across the table who may have just gone through a tragic moment. Maybe he came up on a scene that he was not prepared for in, in the car accident and he saw something he never thought he would see in his life. And there was, a, there was a relational building going on there. Do you know God wants to relate with us? At Jesus' birth, He becomes identified with us in humanity. And I want to show you this. You see, throughout our lives, our experiences shape how we identify with other people. I remember, the, how many of you know the song, It's a looking, looking a Lot Like Christmas? I was raised in Alabama, okay? When you start singing that song and it looks, it's looking a lot like Christmas, snow did not come into my mind. Because when I was raised in Alabama, that meant on Christmas Day, after being at the grandparents, we would all go outside and play football. And there was no snow on the ground. You know, but... Because I have been in Wisconsin, and we, Marsha and I uh, started out our ministry in the tundra of Alaska, where on one night it snowed five feet. Hey, walk out and try to find your car after it snowed five feet. You're going, it's gone. <laughs> and then you have to dig that thing out. In Wisconsin, whenever uh, our, we had a... Uh, church parking lot that was a little bit over two acres in size. We had a church of about uh, 1,000, 1,200, and we had multiple services, and we had a dump truck and a, a four-wheel drive pickup truck with snow plows on them. One year, we had over 100 inches of snow in our uh, season of the snow season. And in that year, it snowed before uh, uh, Halloween, and we didn't see the ground until May 10th. Think about it. That's a moment of terror in my mind. But every time it snowed, you had to clear the parking lot. We had so much snow built up on both sides of the parking lot that literally you could not see the church coming from one direction down the road because the snow had just literally been built up so high. Now, I personally enjoyed getting in the dump truck or getting in the pickup truck and plowing all that. I didn't have to. We had people that did that for us. But I enjoyed doing that because I wanted to identify to these hardy Wisconsinites who talk about getting out and plowing snow. I also identify with individuals that just had a hurricane come blowing through because when we pastored in South Louisiana, we experienced the hurricanes that came through and in some cases, not for us, thank the Lord, God preserved us as in our own community that we didn't have the electricity knocked out for long periods of time. But going down into some of the bayou areas where the hurricane came over in the eye of the hurricane of Hurricane Andrew, literally without power for almost four weeks. And I was leading tractor-trailer loads full of Groceries down in there almost daily coming into Lafayette and taking them down into that area. I identify with those individuals. And you have things in your life that you identify with people, right? Because of what? Experience. I can't identify with anyone that's dealt with cancer. My mom has never dealt with cancer. My dad has dealt with a tumor, but that was about it. But I have sat with people as I've listened to their stories and the pain of it all. Our sister-in-law did die of brain cancer. And that's the closest I've come to a family member struggling with things like that. 
My mother-in-law, before I knew her, was healed of cancer. But when I listen to ladies who start talking about different types of cancers, because God has preserved my wife, and she's never had even a cancer scare concerning things that a lady has gone through. But when I sit with ladies as a pastor and I would listen to their stories, I could sympathize with them. But it was hard to relate to them because I'd never walked that journey. And so what I would do within our church, I would bring some other ladies who were cancer survivors and I would bring them alongside them for the journey that they were walking on because then they could start telling their stories together. They could talk about their ups, their downs, their stresses, their ways of relief. I could, I could, walk with, I, I could watch them walk together on that journey. But Marsha and I have experienced, sad to say, car accidents. And when I talk to individuals that have experienced car accidents, I can relate to them. I can walk that journey with them. God looked down on humanity and said, I'm going to bring my son to this earth so that he can walk with you and he can relate with you even in his birth. Now listen to me. There was a study done in 1958. I believe I have the uh, date correct. It was a mathematician and he decided to take over 140 prophecies of Scripture and find out what the probability was of one individual fulfilling all 140 prophecies to the letter. He got to eight in running his mathematical formulas, and he discovered that just fulfilling eight of those prophecies is a one in over one quadrillion, and I'm not saying that, okay, billion, trillion, what's next? I believe it's quadrillion. One in one quadrillion probability that one person could just fulfill eight prophecies to the letter. Now think about it. He fulfilled all 140 prophecies. Meaning he is relating to us in every walk of life. At Jesus' birth, God wanted to identify with humanity. In other words... He didn't want to be this God that somewhere was out in the Pleiades that nobody could connect with. He wanted to be the God that was right there with them. But matter of fact, the word of the Lord says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So God doesn't have to have a big crowd. You follow me? I was standing at the, um, uh, it's called the Sitting Buddha in uh, Bangkok, Thailand. It's one of the major temples there. And as I walked in, they gave me instruction, don't let, don't let my feet sh be shown to the uh, sitting Buddha because that's a way of disrespect and everything. And, and, I, and I got to talking to one of the monks that was there. And I was asking him, I said, I, I see you're making some uh, grain sacrifices here, and I see that you're uh, chanting and you're doing some, uh, some bowing and praying. Can I ask you, does Buddha hear you? He said, we're uncertain if Buddha exists. I said, so who are you praying to? He said, I'm not really sure, but I'm doing it. Now think about that for a moment. And, and I'm not hitting hard on the Buddhists and, and having them. They, they are truly hoping to find some form of truth. But the reality is what they put in as a prayer and who they're praying to, they don't even know if they, He exists. God wants us to know that He exists. God wants us to know that we have a personal relationship with Him. I was talking to a Muslim one day. He actually uh, lived next door to us whenever we were uh, just not married too long, about six months, eight months in our marriage. And I was talking to him. Uh, he was from Iran. And I started talking to him about the relationship with Allah. And he looked at me and he said, I don't have a relationship with Allah. I said, what do you mean you don't have a relationship with Allah? You're, a, you're a, a Muslim. He said, no, no, no. Allah is all about judging. And I don't want to have a relationship with God, Allah because he'll judge me. 
He said, I want to do what's pleasing to Allah, but I don't want to have a relationship to Allah because he will judge me. Our Father in heaven is just that, our Father. He loves us. He cares for us. Yes, he's going to discipline us, but yet he wants to walk with us so that we are in an intimate relationship that we can share with him our deepest secrets, our deepest dreams, our humblest failures, and our greatest successes. You see, he identified with those who faced hardship at Jesus' birth. It said it came a time that Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all should be taxed. And you had to go back to your hometown of where your ancestors were from. Well, all of a sudden, Joseph looked, and he had already gone through a pretty tough situation already with finding out Mary was with child. He had to have a divine revelation from God to let him know he shouldn't, be kill- he shouldn't put her to death, but he should take her as his wife. Now, all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph are going to have to leave everything. They're going to have to pack up their animal. They're going to have to make a very treacherous trip all the way to Bethlehem. Why? Because God said in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to come out of Bethlehem of Judea. Old little town of Bethlehem, as we read it. When we look at that, God identified with people in hardship. God identifies with people who maybe have to pull, has to pull up roots and all. Right now, there are people that are dealing with hardship. It may be through poverty. It may be through a massive hurricane that came and blew into the panhandle of Florida. It may be a raging wildfire that wiped out their homes. God identifies with those people. God identifies with rejected. Whenever Mary and Joseph came into Bethlehem, the Bible says they found no place to stay. Every place they went to, they were rejected. Sorry, you can't be here. Sorry, you can't be here. Sorry, you can't. Sorry, you can't stay. Uh, you know, the, there's no vacancy. The sign's up. No vacancy. No vacancy. There was no room in the end for them. There was a rejection that Jesus' parents, and ultimately Jesus, because he was going to be born that evening, ultimately Jesus faced rejection. There are people sitting in this room that you have faced rejection before. <laughs> I was reading a little story uh, this week in one of the um, uh, news uh, feeds that I get, and it said, a man after 40 years opens a Christmas present that he had received from a rejected girlfriend 40 years before in in Edmonton, Canada. He had kept it for 40 years, still wrapped. (laughs) And one of the things he said, the reason it stayed wrapped and out of the way is because I felt so rejected. Finally, he decided to open it this year, and the Christmas present was a book on love is. (laughs) Believe it or not, he got married, and the young lady that rejected him, they became, he and his wife became friends with her husband and her, and uh, with her and her husband. I don't understand it, but I do know this. (laughs) Rejection is hard. Rejection is painful, and rejection can live with us a lifetime. Whether it's feeling rejected because you got fired from a position. Whether it's feeling rejected, rejection because you knelt down on one knee and held out that ring and she went, no. <laughs> Which you may not have said it that way, but I mean, there was a rejection that came. Maybe it was rejection after that ring was accepted, but a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years later, that spouse walked out. Or maybe that dad or that mom walked out. That feeling of rejection. Jesus in his birth identifies with all the rejection that you've ever felt in your life. 
Jesus identified with the common man. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, we see that the angels of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. <laughs> Probably a group of people much that was that was so common in their daily routines, people didn't even pay attention to them. Have you ever felt that way in your life? That you're just so common in what you do, people walk by you every day and never say a word to you. I was um, at a, a restaurant one day. It's just me, and I'm uh, getting ready to get up. Uh, Marsha was not with me. I'd uh, gone on a trip somewhere, and I was getting ready to get up, and uh, this gentleman, who is an older gentleman, came by, and he was bussing the tables. And I just got up, and I said, Hey, I want to tell you thank you. When I sat down, the table was very clean, and I appreciate what you're doing. He looked at me, and tears started coming down his eye. He said, you're the first person, and I've worked here now 12 years. He said, I got out of prison, and this is where I started working. I've been working here ever since. You're the first person in 12 years that's ever recognized me. You may feel like that person that is so common that you're nothing more than a fly on the wall that everybody walks by. Jesus identifies with you because the angels of the Lord went to the most common of people that first Christmas and went to those shepherds to proclaim the greatest news to ever be told to mankind. And so this Christmas season, because Jesus identifies with the most common, <clears throat> it would be good for us to identify with the common of this world. No matter what we feel, the status of life we're in, there's someone that always feels less than us. Let's reach out to them. If the angels of heaven sent from the Almighty Father in heaven would come to the most common, shouldn't we? He identifies with the persecuted. Because after the wise men had left Herod and come and found Jesus, they left him one another way. Herod was so furious that they had not come back and told him exactly where the child was. In his fury, he sent, an, he sent his army to Bethlehem. To kill every child two years of every boy two years of age and younger. Kill them. The persecuted. Fulfilling scripture that in Bethlehem the weeping of Rachel would be heard. He identifies with the refugees. In Matthew 2:13. That it says that God appeared to Joseph, or the angel appeared, or the Lord, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. He said, Get up, flee to Egypt, where the child and his mother, the angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. He identifies with a refugee. He identifies with those who have to flee their country. He identifies with those who are persecuted. He identifies both with the persecuted Christian and the non-persecuted and the non-Christian who is persecuted. He identifies with them. You see how Jesus identifies with us? And whenever we cry out to him, no matter what the cry is, he identifies with our lives. He also identifies with the educated, and he identifies with those who have wealth. The wise men who had arrived, they were not called wise men or the magi because they got on camels and came across the desert. No, they literally were educated in the best education of that culture. They were educated in being able to read and look at the movement of, planet, of planets. They were educated in understanding the medical, to understanding the physiological, to understanding the uh, astrological. They were fully educated in all those things. Jesus identified with even the most educated. But these wise men were also people of resources, of wealth. Jesus identified even with the richest. 
One of the things that God spoke to my life when I was pastoring, my father-in-law, who was my mentor, who pastored in New Orleans for 35 years, he told me, he said, Bruce, you can either choose to pastor a building with people in it, or you can choose to pastor your community. He said, neither one of them are wrong, but, but one of them will great, give you greater open doors and influence while the other keeps you ministering in a smaller sphere. And he, and he told me, he said, join a, a civic organization. Join the Chamber of Commerce. Become involved and literally use those platforms as places of ministry. And I joined and I'd become a part of the Rotary Club and became a part of the Chamber of Commerce. And one day I was praying and I said, God, I, I just feel that I'm not making an impact like I should. And I was pastoring a church maybe 60, 70 I'm looking at Marsha because I don't want to be Lake Charles. Maybe 60, 70 people um, in, that, in that church. And God spoke to him. He said, I want you to go to every member of the Chamber of Commerce and tell them you can't do anything for them, but you can pray for them. Is there anything you can pr I can pray with you about? So I made appointments to go to every person that was in the Chamber of Commerce. I had the book because I was part of the Chamber of Commerce. And I went to this man. He, his name was Mr. Leo. And he was the president of Calcasieu Marine Bank, which at that time was the largest bank in Calcasieu Parish. At that time, there was neither interstate banking nor inter interstate banking. You couldn't go across lines, nor could you go across uh, parish lines. So there intra and interstate. There are two things uh, there. So you couldn't even go beyond it. You had to stay within your local parish or local county, and that was your bank. And Calcasieu Marine Bank, because of all the chemical companies and oil companies there, was a very, very wealthy uh, bank in that community. And they had just built a 26-story bank right there, on uh, a building on uh, Lake Prion, right near the interstate. And so I made an appointment to go visit uh, the, the president of the bank, Mr. Leo. And I got there and I asked the lady downstairs, I said, where is he? She said, well, he's on the 21st floor. And I said, okay. So I got in the elevator on the 21st floor, got out in his office, his, the corner office overlooking this beautiful lake below. And I start talking to Mr. Leo. Now, I'm pastoring a church of 75 people, okay? You know, anything that we would put in the bank would be small in comparison. So I'm insignificant as far as what I could do for that bank at all. And so I start talking about to Mr. Leo and telling him the only thing I can really do for you is to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And he sort of thought about it and hemmed hauled around. And after that brief discussion, all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, talk to him about his soul. And that passage of Scripture where Paul said, become all things to all men so that you might win some, I believe it means begin, be, study, develop, understand people so that you can relate to them. And so I began to relate to him in things of banking terms. And I said, Mr. Leo, how are you educated? He, was, uh, he said, I was educated in accounting. I said, let me ask you a question. When all the accounting is done and two lines are drawn under the last number, what does that mean? He said, when two lines are drawn under the last number, that means that number has been checked, double-checked, and triple-checked, and that number is true, and it will not change. Because all things have been done for that value to be what it is, and it will not change. He said, that's the reason when we send accountants in to check our branch banks, we even go all the way down to the penny. And if that one penny cannot be located, we will stay there until that one penny is located because when we draw the final two lines under the uh, last uh, value of, of money or number there, we want it to be totally true, never to be able to be changed. I said, well, Mr. Leo... If you were standing before God, 
Here's Jesus, the one who paid the price for it all. He's laid out His Word for us, and two lines are drawn under your life. Will you hear the words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, or I never knew you. He hung his head and he said, I would hear the words, I don't know you. I said, well, Mr. Leo, there's only one line drawn under your name right now, not two. I want to help you so that there will be two lines drawn in your name and you'll hear the word, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And there in that room, probably one of the richest men in all of South Louisiana, got down on his knees at his, de at his desk chair and began to cry out to God for salvation. I'm saying that to you because it was Jesus who related to the wealthy. And I was able to take something of relation to the wealthy and that man gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Marsha and I could tell you story after story after story of people who have felt rejected, who have accepted Jesus. Of people who have felt like they were just so common that nobody ever had any, uh, would never pay attention to them, but accepted Jesus. Individuals who have literally felt like they have been thrown to the wayside, they have accepted Jesus. <coughs> you see, because Jesus identifies with us all. Jesus identifies with you right now. If you're sick in body, He identifies with you. Not because He has been sick, but because He's become the healer of your sickness. He identifies with you in your sin, not because He became a sinner, but because He became the sacrifice for your sin. He, he identifies with you in your rejection because He was rejected. Remember, only one disciple was still at the cross when he was hanging there on Golgotha. All of the disciples had run away, rejected him. He understands your pain. He understands your struggles. This Christmas season, Jesus identifies with you. Whether you have a million dollars in the bank or you're struggling rubbing two nickels together to make a dime. He identifies with you. But in that identification, He says, I want to do something else. I want to give you an eternity that no one else can give you. No other religion, no other denomination, no other <coughs> religious affiliation could do anything for you. I want to give you eternal life. Thank you. And today, Jesus, this Christmas season, when we sing about it's a looking a lot like Christmas, it's not because of the snow on the ground. It's because of the baby in the manger that grew up to be the Savior of all mankind. Would you bow your heads? I want you to ask yourself a single question. And I want to put a precursor before it. I don't want you to ask a question, am I made in the image of God? Because as I look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we were made in the image of God. We're triune. We're flesh. We're spirit. We're emotions, mind. We're triune. God created us that way. That's not what I'm asking. I want you, here's the question. Am I a child of God? That's the question. And I'm going to be quiet for about 15 seconds, and I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I a child of God? Praise the Lord. Okay, with your head still bowed, no one's looking around. And by the way, that's not a biblical 
statement because nowhere in the Bible does it say, okay, bow your heads and close your eyes. What I'm doing is just saying, okay, close yourself in when you're not distracted by anybody else. Close yourself in where you're not wondering what the person to the left, to the right, front or back of you is doing. But this gives you a chance to close yourself in with God. While your head is still bowed and your eyes are closed and you're asking God to deal with you, how many of you, when you ask that question, am I a child of God? Yes, came up in your life. You'd slip your hand up and put it right back down. Wonderful, wonderful. You can put it down. Now, some of you didn't raise your hands. And you may be asking, okay, Bruce, what's the big deal? I didn't get a yes. Let me explain the big deal to you. The Bible says to us that the Spirit of the Lord will bear witness with our spirits that we are children of God. If you could not get an affirmation within your spirit, that means there's something hindering your relationship with God. Now, and I've searched Scripture over and over. What hinders our relationship with God is not education, is not finances. What hinders our relationship with God is a three-letter word, sin. And if you've allowed sin to enter into your life or creep into your life, that's the reason you cannot get that affirmation from God that you are a child of God. And today God wants to deal with you to help you walk in a way that you're not walking in sin. And that you're walking as a child of the living God, free from sin. If you would say, Bruce, I didn't raise my hand a while ago, but I want to raise it now because I want to be freed from any sin that has come into my life. And I want to walk as a child of God. If that's you, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I want to pray with you in just a moment. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anyone else that would join these three individuals that have raised their hand and said, yes, I want to take care of this sin issue? Does that make you perfect? No. It makes you right with God, though. The Bible says we must confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. What that means is that we're believing that He truly was the Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary, that He did live and that He did die a crucifixion death, but He also raised, was raised again. Now, that's one side of the coin, confession. The other side of the coin is repentance. Same coin. Just the other side. Repentance says, I am now going to take those sins that I've committed and I'm going to take them off and I'm going to walk in a new direction to serve Jesus Christ. If you're willing to do that, and I hope all of us will, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Out loud, verbally, a point of confession, and then you're making a statement of, I'll repent, Lord. Would you pray with me, all of us together? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, You came to this earth Yes, you were born of the Virgin Mary. But you went to the cross and died for my sins. You paid my price. You went in the grave. And you rose again on the third day. You are my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you right now to wipe the sin out of my life. Forgive me, Jesus. I want to know that I know that I'm a child of the living God. And I serve you always. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to your feet all over this room, lift your hands toward heaven. And today, because Jesus was willing to identify with you, would you ask Jesus to help you to identify with others and their needs? Would you ask Jesus to help you to identify with people in their struggles and in their life? 
Would you ask Jesus because he's identified with you to help you to identify with people that are walking in their path? Maybe of rejection or maybe even success. Whatever it may be. Father, we stand here with our hands raised and we say, Lord, we surrender to you because we want to be used for your glory. We want to turn our lives in a way, just as Convoy has gone into places and identified with people and their suffering, Lord, we have brought food and water and other things that are helped them. Lord, because you identified with us in our suffering, we do the same. Now, Lord, help us as people to identify whether it's someone sitting in the desk beside us in our company, sitting in a classroom with us, sitting in their neighborhood uh, restaurant or coffee shop or whatever it may be. Lord, help us to identify with the people that you place in our path so that we can share Jesus with them. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on one more time. Just lift your hands. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for this great promise. And we just thank you for your presence. You know, I was just challenged. Bruce, thank you for that. What a great word. Come on, can we encourage Bruce this morning for sharing his heart and Marsha. You know, I would ask you, anytime God gives us a word, we need to respond with action. And I'm as guilty as anyone for not making the most of every opportunity. I've probably sat with Bruce and Marsha uh, maybe 10 times at a restaurant. And every time they ask their waiter, not out of a obligation, or they always say, hey, we're going to pray, and we would love to pray for you. And we have had some tremendous conversations. We spent several minutes last night ministering to the young man we ate with, gave him a card, told him about the church, and he was very interested working today obviously but the sad thing is Bruce is I probably wouldn't have done that if, if you weren't there to lead in that and I want to grow in that I just I get so used to just doing my thing and well I've got four kids and they're acting up and I got to mess with them and feed them and let's just take the time to ask that co-worker could you pray with him could you ask can I pray with you that person at the restaurant can I pray with you so my challenge this week is, let's be open to the Lord in every situation, at Kroger, at Target, at restaurants, with your neighbor. Hey, I'd love to, I'm, I'm praying, and I would love to pray. Is there anything I can pray with you about? What's the worst they say? No. Maybe they punch you in the forehead. I don't know. It's not going to happen. Chad's not going to come in Sunday with a black eye. I'll ask somebody to pray with me, and they decked me. It's not going to happen. We just got to take the time. We've got to take the time. This week, let's close our eyes one more time. I just want, before you and the Lord, you say, Lord, this week, if you, when you tug my heart, ask. I will take the time and ask, can I pray with you? Is there anything I can pray with you about? Would you make that commitment in this room this morning? My hand is up. My hand is up. Just lift your hands out. Make that commitment this week to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. What a great day. Snow and everything. Amen. I want to ask our ushers to come. How many families do we have in here? Like one person per family. Raise your hand. Let me see. Let me get a count. One person per family. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. How many books do you bring? Well, guess what? Today, because it's Christmas and you brave the snow, I'm going to buy a copy of your book for every family in the house. So we're going to bless you today. So before you leave, take the book, keep a count, and then let me know, and we'll cover you. And that's your special blessing for coming out on a snowy morning. Amen? This book really is powerful. This will actually help us, Marcia, through our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So now as we get ready to give, we're going to sow our normal tithing offerings. Scripture says give and it will be given back unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So I just gave to you and I'm expecting it to be given back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together <laughs> and running over. We're going to give our normal offerings for missions and, and tithe. <laughs> we ask that you seek the Lord about giving on a regular, consistent basis to help reach our community, help reach our world. And then we're also going to bless Bruce and Marcia for coming today. They could, could have been at a lot of other places, frankly, and 
probably turned down some appointments to come here, but we were honored to have them. The thing I love about Bruce is I've seen him preach in front of about 2,000 people at district meetings and seen him preach in front of a handful of people. He's always the same, always gives his heart, gives his best, and I appreciate that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift. Thank you for the giver. And Lord, as we, as we honor you with our wealth, as we purposed in our heart to give, not out of necessity, not with a grudge, but out of a cheerful, joyful heart, as we decided to invest back in your work, I just thank you for provision. Thank you that you meet every need. Lord, you're so faithful in every area. And Lord, I've seen your faithfulness time and time again in the area of finances. It's our joy this morning to invest in your work and to invest in Bruce and Marsha. In Jesus' name, amen.